Well, I have 10 minutes to tell you why talking about the Israel lobby matters, a subject that writers for our magazine, the Washington Report on Middle East Affairs, have been focusing on for more than three and a half decades. And there's a shout out I have to give to um, Andy Kilgore, uh, who published the magazine and who is missing this, but his daughters are here. And my brother, um, my father, Richard Curtis, is missing this too, but my brother is here. This is a, f a very important magazine to our families. So in your bag, you'll find two issues of the print edition. We also offer a digital edition. I, of course, encourage everyone listening today on C-SPAN or everywhere else, if you are not a subscriber, please become one. Today, you'll be hearing from distinguished speakers who have tackled the Israel lobby using keyboards, the courts, and citizen activism. They're working to expose and end human rights abuses in Israel and preserve civil rights here. Quite a few of the speakers have attended the, this conference year after year, sitting in these chairs, inspired by doctors John Mearsheimer, Stephen Walt, and Hanan Shraoui, journalist Gideon Levy, and so many others. We hope today that you will be similarly motivated, not only by our speakers, but by participants in this year's Ideas Fair. During the breaks, we encourage you to visit each table and hear what others are accomplishing. Join their important work to make a difference in your own communities. This is the sixth year we've gathered to discuss what's now a hot topic, thanks to the election of a new generation of members of Congress, many of them women. Democratic representatives Ilan Omar of Minnesota and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan are fearlessly expressing some tough truths. They're trying to <laughs> bolster voting rights, overhaul the campaign finance system, reduce corruption in Washington, D.C., and end the influence of special interests. I wish their elders in Congress would follow their lead instead of trying to shush them. I was at the Bus Boys and Poets February 27th town hall meeting that ignited one firestorm and heard their lively conversation about universal health care, the environment, and ending U.S. involvement in foreign wars. Busboy's owner, Andy Shalal, asked the two to address charges of anti-Semitism that flare up every time they discuss the Israel lobby or um, Israel. Taleb talked about her grandmother and the hardship she faces living under Israeli occupation. She stated that this conversation isn't about human rights for everyone, emphasizing this conversation is not centered around hate. It's actually centered around love. Omar agreed, adding, I want to talk about the political influence in this country that says it's okay for people to push for allegiance to a foreign country. And I want to ask, why is it okay for me to talk about the influence of the NRA, of fossil fuel industries, or big pharma, and not talk about a powerful lobby that is influencing policy? Thanks. I left that town hall meeting so inspired. I hope that finally we're We've elected leaders who will openly debate the influence of money in politics and the harm all lobbies, especially Israel's lobby, causes to our political system. So I was stunned when the press and legislators went nuts, accusing Omar of using anti-Semitic tropes. The charge of anti-Semitism is a red herring, and its overuse dilutes the very real danger of true anti-Semitism. Thank you.
But it's the charge the lobby always makes to discredit people who dare to speak out. It's the only response possible. That is because not even the Israel lobby can provide a persuasive defense of the Israeli government's actions in the territories it occupies. Shooting unarmed protesters, including children and medical workers, building ever more colonies or settlements, constructing apartheid walls and roads. Unlike the debate on guns, abortion, or climate change, this conversation is closed before it can even start when any criticism of Israel is labeled anti-Semitic. Full stop, conversation closed. Of course, the lobby feels it must try to prevent any discussion of these issues, because when people raise the questions Representative Tlaib and Omar have, there's a very real possibility that other Americans will seek answers to these questions themselves. The lobby can only be effective in putting Israel's interests ahead of Americans if its actions, some of which it tries hard to conceal, and its history is not open for discussion. But it looks like APAC's Pandora box is open, and we are proud to have been a major part in prying it open. <laughs> According to the Center for Responsive Politics, Israel has spent more than $63.5 million lobbying Congress and federal agencies in 2017 and 2018 alone. Far more money than any country except South Korea at $82 million plus. The nonprofit constellation of Israel affinity organizations pushing to advance Israel from within the U.S., has revenues on track to reach 6.2 billion by next year. And most of important of all are the individual political campaign contributions made in exchange for unquestioned political support for Israel. So why can't we talk about the Benjamins? American taxpayers provide Israel with more than 3.1 billion annually in military aid. You'll be hearing more on that later from conference co-organizer IRMEP's Grant Smith, who just helped me with the microphone. Since 1948, Israel has received far more U.S. foreign aid than any other country, despite polls showing that most Americans oppose such aid. On March 6, Gallup claimed, although it was the lowest figure since 2009, that 59% of Americans sympathize more with Israelis and only 21% sympathize with the Palestinians. But for decades, Gallup's lofty claims of U.S. sympathy for Israel, coming out just before APEC's annual meeting, differed significantly from Pew Research. When IRMEP fielded Gallup's poll through the highly accurate Google survey platform between March 5th and 6th and 8th, Ermet found that only 22.2% of Americans said they sympathize more with the Israelis, while 52.5% claim they held no opinion. Americans have long been told they are highly sympathetic to Israel and support giving most of the U.S. aid budget to Israel, when in fact they aren't and don't. Meanwhile, this administration has halted U.S. humanitarian aid to Palestinians, including scholarships for Palestinian students attending American universities abroad. But we taxpayers can't talk about it. Instead, the Israel lobby pushes the idea that our two nations have shared values. Sadly, that is becoming increasingly true. 
as Israeli elections near, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is pushing divisive politics. He declared that Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people and them alone, implying that 1.8 million Arabs and other minorities are at best second-class citizens. He accuses former military chief Benny Gantz, his main rival, of planning to form a governing coalition with Shudder, Arab Israelis. Netanyahu is backed by the far-right party known as Jewish Power and followers of the late Meir Kayen, an ultra-nationalist, racist American-Israeli rabbi and founder of the Koch Party, who inspired Baruch Goldstein to attack Palestinian worshipers at Hebron's Ibrahim Mosque in 1994. Like our own president, Netanyahu is pandering to far-right voters and sowing division. Huge campaign billboards along Israel's highways show Netanyahu and President Trump, who declared Jerusalem as Israel's capital and moved our embassy there, shaking hands. And now he's given away the Golan Heights. In a couple of days, we'll see a lot of members of Congress clamoring for a microphone at Apex Policy Conference, talking about shared values and shared foreign policy goals. They'll be pushing for more handouts from American taxpayers, a war with Iran, and, well, they already, they were going to be pushing for Golan Heights, but they got uh, surprised. Okay. They'll be focusing on anti-Semitism and ignoring the dangers of Islamophobia and fear of immigrants. They'll be talking about how the recent congressional resolution condemning hatred was diluted because it did not exclusively target anti-Semitism or reprimand Omar. They'll be talking about which party, the Democrats or Republicans, is better for Jews in America and Israel. Two weeks before Israelis go to the polls, both Bibi Netanyahu and his rival, Benny Gantz, will be campaigning for office at APEC's policy conference. APEC has also invited Oded Revivi, a senior leader of the Settler Umbrella Organizations, to speak. As Elon Omar wrote in her March 18th Washington Post America's op-ed, America's image in the world is undermined when we don't live up to our own values. She called for an inclusive foreign policy, one that centers on human rights, justice, and peace as the pillars of America's engagement in the world. When the speakers you'll hear from today criticize Israeli government actions, spoiler alert, Susan Abluhawa's critique will be unforgettable. It is because these actions threaten peace in the region and also the national security of the United States. Just as it is not anti-Semitic to criticize the Israeli government or its lobbies or, um, in the United States or to peacefully advocate BDS. Like Omar, I'm proud to stand up for real American values, and I know you are too. Thank you for being here today.